Hi, everyone, and welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. Now, we've got a really exciting episode. First of all, Stan is going to give his performance tip for this week, and we're going to go through all the essentials of ultrasound for this exam. Now, we'll get straight into it. Hi, everyone. My name is Lahiru. And I'm Stan. And let's get straight into it. So, Stan, now, we all want to be as high performance as you. What is your performance tip for well, this week? <laughs> well, before before we get into that, uh, it is it is a new episode, and my performance tip. My so I've got two performance tips for today. But my first performance tip is always make sure that uh, you look like you've got you've got a change of clothes, and it looks like <laughs> a brand new day. So for all those who saw the previous episode, not that I've had a I've had a change of clothes, and Lahiru is still wearing. The same outfit. Oh dear! Last episode. I want people to know that we recorded both episodes at the well, same time. But this is not a shirt a week later unwashed. Okay? It's, it's not uh, like that. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that, <laughs> that's, that's last word against. Uh, <laughs> you got me. It's what could be the truth, which is, we're we're a week. What, why are the episodes being released each week? Because we just tape it. Oh, here we go. All right. Very nice. Is that is that okay? <laughs> yeah, no, it's very nice. Very nice. So last for for all the people on podcast world. Lars just put on a jacket and just like myself where I've just put on a new jumper, it's completely transformed himself. And I think these small little things can <laughs> make a difference. And look, I want to lead, I want to lead that on to um, the idea of advocacy. So what I just did just then was I advocated for La to make a change. That was a terrible segue, but I'll, I'll pay it because <laughs> it's a good, it's a good. <laughs> your, your heart's in the right place. <laughs> you gotta give me a, you gotta give me credit. Hey, I've, I've, I spent some time thinking about how to, uh, yeah. uh, segues or how to make these transitions seamless as you. So, <laughs> almost as good as CNN. Yeah. Almost, almost. Anyway, the, the idea that I want to talk about today, and it's really for those, for those trainees, uh, that have passed or, or that are going to pass as well as consultants out there and anyone listening who has someone below them. And it's the idea of advocacy. It's the idea of acting on their behalf and acting on their best interests. So an example that, that, um, that I'll give is that earlier this week, I started making rounds, I started making calls uh, around to the SOTs of uh, various departments and speaking to those SOTs about trainees within our program in and sort of talking about ways in which we can uh, help them through this upcoming Viber. And it was really, um, really positive and amazing to actually hear about what resources are actually out there for all these trainees. And when I put down the phone, I was like really comforted by how much that, you know, that those departments were going to be doing for their trainees. But then after that, I got thinking, why? Why, was, why wasn't this access prior? And this is where advocacy comes in. And I think it's something that we've also experienced as well, where we always ask for trainees to come in with their questions or come in for if they, if they need any assistance or help. Um, very rare do we get those emails. Mm. And, and I think that there, there, is that, um, there is that hesitation from the trainee themselves to actually reach out and get help. Mm. But when someone else is in a position like ourselves or a consultant or, or a trainee that's recently passed, they can act on another trainee. They can see, look, this trainee needs help. This trainee needs assistance. I'm going to advocate for them 
I'm going to talk to someone about and get them the resources and support that they need to be to be successful and to bring happiness to their lives. Yeah, I think that's really great because, and you know, and if I think about every single context, I've all, I've, I've all, like maybe the fact that I'm a consultant now, I feel like I've got far more, you know, confidence in asking for things and being assertive. But that that wasn't always the case. Like when you're a junior, you just feel far less able. And even below that, like when you're a student or maybe you're a person who's just come into the country, you're not really sure of the system, you might be quite timid, maybe culturally wise, you're, you, you don't feel like you can assert yourself. And, you know, what is our role in, in life? But to, if you've got that, if you're in a position of power, you know, to be able to stand up for someone else, whatever it is, whether it's on the street and someone's getting bullied or someone's going through a hard time and you say, hey, are you okay? Can, can I help you? This is advocacy, right? And you know, if you've got that ability and you've got that confidence and strength, I think it's 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 just great. Like I, like I was an absolute nerd in high school. I'm gonna it probably doesn't come as as any surprise to anyone else. Looking chap like you, nerd. No, <laughs> oh man, there's only so much chess you can play and not be a ridiculous nerd. Um, but, but I, I, like I was, I was so lucky. I had these friends who were just like a lot of them were, you know, just really. You know, some of them were really big guys. I remember I was in band. And there's one kid who's just an absolute, you know, and he, he was just a bully. There's no, there's no two ways about it. And one day we're just playing and he just, he just comes up and punches me. And luckily for me, I mean, I, I had no chance against this guy. He was, he was a rugby player, you know, first for rugby, first for rowing. And the guy next to him was older than him and bigger than him and just punched him back. And the, the, he never messed with me because that guy who was not, not even a close friend, he was just a nice, nice guy. We got along. He stood up for me. And that moment, it meant that he, that would never happen again because I just had no ability to really assert myself to someone, you know, so, so much bigger and more aggressive. Uh, and, and, I, and, I just, and, that's the, and that's the amazing part about this story is that you didn't ask for him to no. step in for you. As in, mm. he, he went in off his own bat to advocate for you and to, mm. to show that you had support. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, yeah, and I think that's the, that's the key message out there. And I think there are, there are so many of our peers Mm. Uh, not just consultants, but trainees as well, who want to advocate for other trainees. Yes. And, and don't you think it'd be amazing if we got all of, if we got this network of um, consultants and trainees who are interested mm. in supporting our primary uh, candidates, you know, we, we could, we could some way make, make a really good positive change mm. through this whole process. What, what are your thoughts? I think that's, a, I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, what, COVID's been terrible, but what it's done is it's linked people who are further, like it's probably socially distanced people who are normally together, but the people who are isolated, the people in different cities in different states, it's actually brought those people together because we've now got very comfortable with using Zoom. We've learned how to podcast. We've learned how to put things on YouTube. We've learned how to, you know, create systems to, you know, bring people together. If there's one thing that this horrible time has created, is that ability to link people who are potentially more isolated mm. and link those who are very happy to help and want to help and just don't have a method to, you know, mobilize that their, their resources to help others. I think maybe yeah, this is the start of something pretty big. Well, distance is no longer an issue. And, and uh, you know, the, the connection that we can make through Zoom, we can connect with people, not just, not just through Melbourne, but through Australia and not just through Australia, but New Zealand as well. Mm. In fact, the whole world. Actually, I had a really interesting thing happen if you, just just this week. I'm, I'm running that part two Viva course tomorrow, 
and someone from Kenya is 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 um, coming to the course. Hey. And wow. uh, yeah, she, she, so she actually attended last year. She's coming again. I thought, you know, she was actually very good. And I thought, oh, you know, what, 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 what's, what's the best place of, you know, knowledge and, and this, this um, shortening of distance? Why don't, we, why don't we help the, you know, third world countries with Zoom education if, if they need it, you know, like wow. setting up things. So that's, that's yeah. going to be the project after, after this weekend. Amazing. <laughs> Big lofty goals. Ah, oh, there's so many people who are happy to help. So I think it'd be easy. <laughs> and, and by the way, where's my where's my beeper? I'm still I'm still waiting for my beeper. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's at your door right now. Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Prime membership. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> we should get on to it. <laughs> anyway, look, I think this is such look. It's such a great idea, and I think that I think yeah, we're gonna have a chat about this probably more offline, mm -hmm. and um, just think of ways that we can provide an avenue where we can advocate for trainees and we can bring in that support and link in, link in all those um, consultants or trainees who are interested to supporting others. And yep. we, we're not going to be limited by distance. And I think it, it really helps because one, one of my, like I get very emotionally invested in all the trainees sitting in their exams. Mm. And one of the things that I feel guilty about is that I just don't have the time to spend mm. with each one the amount that mm. I think they they did that they deserve mm. so um you know i think a, a solution around that is that there are really so many people out there who want to help and yeah. let's, let's let's tap into that no i let's think that's great. That amazing resource hey i think that's i think that's really great i'm, I'm excited about what this so if anyone has any ideas if they need help uh, email us lahiru and san at gmail.com um so please email us maybe you want to help out maybe you want to offer um some advocacy some kind of training whatever it is if you if you want to be a part of this please email us um with any questions any suggestions short answer question fibers mentoring whatever it is and you know i think we've got a pretty good platform now that we can make this happen let's do it okay let's get on to ultrasound so that's what you came here for hardcore first part knowledge. So Stan, ultrasound. I know you use ultrasounds a lot because you do so much regional anesthesia. I also love ultrasound. I love regional anesthesia. How does this amazing device work? So the way the ultrasound works is that it produces sound waves and it produces sound waves with frequency above human hearing. So um, that's often quoted at a bit more than 20 kilohertz. So the range of ultrasound that are often produced often range from two to 15 megahertz mm -hmm. so big difference okay mm -hmm. now the basic features of an ultrasound so this is really just a summary of the way that i think about this and the way that i sort of can um sort of transmit that knowledge to you so one is it's sound waves generated from a piezoelectric electric crystal which deforms when voltage is applied to it secondly it's transmitted through the body tissues and reflected back from different tissue interfaces which is then picked up by the transducer and then convert it into an image. So it's really interesting if you, if so this is just really um, at its basic core when you think about one piezoelectric electric crystal, but the ultrasound that we use in our everyday clinical practice has multiple piezoelectric crystals, each, um, each sort of generating multiple different waves and each at the same time taking turns into, into um, picking, picking them, picking up the reflected sound waves and becoming the um, transducer. So the other basic idea about an ultrasound is that it's related by the formula. And this is very important to know. It's lambda, which is your wavelength, multiplied by the frequency equals your velocity. 
And knowing that formula allows the ultrasound probe to calculate the time it takes for those waves to go there and back. And that gives you the velocity and working that out, you can actually work out the depth, okay? Because it knows the frequency and it knows the wavelength. And all, all, all it does is it's got the time and from there, it can actually work out the depth. So that's how, you, that's how the image is ultimately produced uh, with an ultrasound. Now, the waves that are produced with an ultrasound can either be reflected and they can be reflected in either a specular, which is means which means like a mirror image, or a scattered manner. Um, the other thing is that it can be reflect refracted or it can be absorbed. So the amount of reflection depends on the different acoustic appearances uh, between the two mediums, as well as the angle of uh, reflection. So, for example, you know when you're using your ultrasound probe, the the best um, image that you get is when it's ninety degrees to to whatever you're looking at. Okay, the more angle you have with the probe, the less quality your images. So the classic example is your is your needle. Mm. If if your needle is at a shallow angle, you will tend to get a really good image. Mm. But if it's your if your needle is a very steep angle, mm. then what you'll find is that the the image of the needle actually goes. And so the trick to that is to actually change the way you orientate your probe from um, from a horizontal lie. To actually align that so that the beam is ninety degrees to the to the needle. Now oh, that's a great tip. Because let's say sometimes you just don't want to have your like if your needle enters next to where your probe is, it's going to be a shallow angle. That's right. So, but if you if you come out too far, that means that it's it, it's often hard if it's difficult tissues, right. difficult positioning to get that needle into view exactly the right plane at the structure. So what you're saying is, you there's your probe, there's yes. your needle. If you were to just turn it this way slightly, correct, oh, and so that your needle is at ninety degrees, to and so your probe is at ninety degrees to the to the entering needle. So that, gonna, that that's a trick that will actually allow you to actually visualize your needle <laughs> a lot better. I've got to say, I thought I knew all the tricks. I've never heard of that trick, and I'm gonna to have to call it Stan's trick from now on. Is, is no, that your no, trick? No, no, no. This is this is. A, <laughs> I'm sure you can find all these tricks on YouTube. Okay, so as far uh, as I'm concerned, uh, so Stan, I'm, congratulations I'm, I'm just, on authoring. I'm just, I'm just regurgitating all this. All right. So um, now, um, now the other thing I talked about was that waves can also be refracted. So refraction occurs when you get that you know you get the change in um, the 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 direction of the sound, and so it occurs between tissues of differing speeds when the angle of incidence of the sound wave is not 90 degrees. So if it's 90 degrees, it hits straight back up. But if it's not 90, oh sorry, it hits straight straight down. But if it's not 90 degrees, you get that little bit of refraction. So um, now the, the thing to note is that sound in water is about 1,540 uh, meters per second. The, the thing about tissues, about body tissues, is that it's all within sort of 10% of one another. So, it, so with all the soft tissues, including fat, you've got, um, you know, a range, and you'll see different numbers between 1,450 to 1,650, okay? So, but it's within 10% of, of what sound is um, transmitted in water. So what that means is because there's uh, a difference of less than 10%, you're not gonna get that much refraction in body tissues, but it does also explain why, why sometimes you get a little bit of artifacts. So, you know, those, those things where you, where you go, what, what, what is this? It's most often an artifact, and it's most often an artifact because of the differing velocities in the different, in the different mediums. Um, now, the only, the only body tissue, which is bone, 
bone is bone is completely different. So bone has a velocity which is often called up between three to four thousand meters per second. But once and and we can sort of describe what happens when you actually get when you try to ultrasound bone, you get dropout. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll we'll sort of uh, discuss this uh, sort of further on. And then the last thing is absorption. So the absorption of a sound wave is dependent on the frequency that um, the sound waves are emitted from the piezoelectric crystal. So high frequency equals high absorption, low frequency equals low absorption. And we'll talk about um, what the implications are and how we can sort of change. Sounds good. So if I'm going to go through, we've got some images, um, but it's not important for you to see the images um, because you can probably just, you know, Google any kind of ultrasound brachial plexus and, and, and see these kind of images. Now, underneath the skin, you get this first bright line. It's usually just above the vessels, above, above the big vacuous circles. Uh, what is that bright line? So that is fascia. And it's, and, yeah, and it's hyperechoic. So what the bright line means is that there is a lot of waves being reflected back at that interface. And what happens is that because there's two different um, acoustic impedances, you get that reflection that occurs and the, it's picked up by the transducer. And because there's a lot of, and when I say a lot, you'll see afterwards, um, I'll, I'll do the calculations for you. It's, it's relatively a lot, but it comes up as a, as a white line. So, so we, so we call it hyperechoic. When I think of a fascial plane, it's got lots of layers, lots of different, slightly different impedances, therefore lots of reflections and refraction occurring. Oh, yeah, well, we can say that it's between a layer between, uh, subcutaneous tissue mm -hmm. and then after that you've got the fascial layer and then after that you've got uh, muscle muscle or fat okay mm -hmm. so it's just between the that that fascial layer which has its own um acoustic impedance mm -hmm. versus the muscle below mm -hmm. and also you're also thinking about the um the layer between subcutaneous fat and also that fascial layer as well okay so if if, if you asked what is acoustic impedance what's a easy definition for yeah. that? yeah so look, acoustic impedance, which is often defined by the letter Z, uh, and it's measured in rails. It's described rails as, as in R A L E S. R A Y L. Look, I'm, I may not be pronouncing it right, so I, I do apologize. I think it's I think it's from uh, Rayleigh, what they call Rayleigh scattering. Rayleigh R A Y L. Oh, R A Y L rails. R A Y L. Sorry, R A R A Y L. Yeah, rails. Or, Ra or Raleigh. Raleigh. One of, the, one of the two units of specific acoustic impedance or yeah, currently characteristic yeah. acoustic, acoustic impedance. Okay, good. So it's measured in, yeah, R-A-Y-L's. I think it's, yeah, rails, um, but it's, it's, um, it comes from, Ray, from the Rayleigh scattering, from the, um, from the name Rayleigh scattering. Um, and it describes the difficulty or resistance of the sound wave as it encounters, um, oh, sorry, the resistance that the sound wave encounters as it's being transmitted through a medium. And the formula for that is, it is equal to the density multiplied by the acoustic velocity. In other words, if you have a medium with high propagation speed, you're gonna have high acoustic impedance. And if you're gonna have a medium with high density, you're also gonna have high acoustic impedance. So it's, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit counterintuitive mm. because often you think if you've got something with, with high resistance, mm -hmm. you're gonna have low velocity. But this is this describes the acoustic impedance. So it's just about the property of uh, the tissue. So because sound waves are transmitted 
uh, at different speeds in different mediums. Mm. What it's saying is that with mediums with high transmission of sound waves and high density, those are going to have high acoustic impedance. Now, an example is, okay, let's say you, you've got um, uh, fat and muscle. Mm. So fat and muscle have an acoustic impedance difference that is actually quite small. Mm. And the reflection coefficient, which is, some, which is a formula that you'll see sometimes, is the acoustic impedance in the, in like, uh, let's say muscle minus the acoustic lead impedance in fat squared divided by the acoustic impedance in muscle plus the acoustic impedance in fat. And that gives you a reflection coefficient. And that reflection coefficient gives you an idea of how, of the percentage of waves that are being reflected. So the reflection coefficient between fat and muscle is actually anywhere between one to 2%. It means that only one to 2% of those waves are being reflected. But if you compare that to bone and muscle, if you actually type in the reflection coefficients of um, bone versus muscle and plug it into that formula, you actually get some, a number closer to 50%. In other words, 50% of those waves are being reflected, which is why when you do ultrasounds on bone, you get a massive amount of, um, of reflection. And that's why it comes as a very, very um, white, as a big white line, okay? Oh. Now, now, now what's interesting is that, you know, you get those, ultras you know, you use those ultrasound needles mm. and, they, and they come up really bright on the <laughs> yeah. screen. And, and so you're going, that, that's, that's, um, that's really bright. Like, and so what happens is that there's a lot of um, sound waves being transmitted from that, uh, from that ultrasound needle. Yes. And what you see um, later on is that uh, you get that, what's called acoustic shadowing. Mm. So acoustic shadowing is because a lot of those waves are being reflected, um, reflected up or reflected, you've actually got less transmission of those sound waves. And that's why below bone, mm. you see it all black, all right? Yep. So, but then with a needle, you actually don't see that acoustic shadowing. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because a needle is, it's, it's a very, it's, it's got, it's very, um, its diameter is very narrow. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't cross the whole screen. So you remember that the ultrasound has got multiple piezoelectric crystals and what it does, it sends multiple waves down. So only a segment of those waves are encountering those, uh, are encountering the needle. Mm -hmm. So that's why you don't get acoustic shadowing with, um, with ultrasonic needles. Interesting. Literally because they're so thin that so thin. Yeah, interesting. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you've got something that's um quite thick, so yes. like a like a um, you know, if you if you use like a large bore needle mm -hmm. and your ultrasound probe, and you're using the, you know, you, you sometimes use that there's a really small ultrasound probe that you can use, but you yep. use a large bore needle, you like, like to see shadowing. So you like to see the dropout that occurs. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, I did wonder why that would happen and um you know it's just really really useful that it doesn't obviously otherwise it'd be very difficult to keep locating your structures yeah do we move on to the next question so now if, again we've got a picture here of the brachial plexus when you're when you're scanning across the neck there's so many structures there what is this large circle black structure and why is it black so so remember i talked about acoustic shadowing and um that causes uh the the anechoic or, or hypoechoic um, nature after the bone. Mm -hmm. So that was because of acoustic shattering. So the other reason why there's a black structure mm -hmm. is because of Rayleigh scattering, okay? Mm -hmm. And what that means is that there's red blood cells in those vessels. And when, when you've got um, little small structures, they cause reflection in all sorts of different directions. Mm -hmm. 
So in other words, the echoes are not returning back to the transducer mm. and they're not being received by the transducer. And that's, and that's why, that what, that's what causes the, um, the black circle. It's because of the red blood cells and, and the idea of uh, Rayleigh scattering. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So what is the difference then between scattered and specular reflection? Yep. So just to summarize, specular, which means mirror, it's from large and smooth objects producing angle-dependent intense reflection. So the example is bone, mm -hmm. and scattered reflection is from small irregular objects such as blood cells, which produce all sorts of different types of reflection so much so that it doesn't head back to the probe. All right. Okay, excellent. Now we've got this, um, again, this image where it's zoomed into the surface of, yeah, probably the, um, the, the humerus bone really. Yeah. What is this white line and why is it white? Yeah, so just to um, summarize again, remember that, that bone has such high acoustic impedance that the interface between muscle and bone produces a, 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 a large amount of reflection, which is then presented as a bright hyperechoic rim. Mm. And because there's so much waves being reflected and less of it being, um, which can go past the bone, that's what's called acoustic shadowing. Mm -hmm. so, so the two things that causes the black structures in your ultrasound are from acoustic shadowing and are from uh, scattered ultrasound waves or Rayleigh scattering. Okay, and why is it dark after that? Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's because of acoustic shadowing. Yeah. So in, in other words, there's just no ultrasound uh, waves that are, that are being able to actually go past that acoustic impedance because a lot of, that, because a lot of those sound waves are being reflected back. Mm -hmm. And how does frequency affect the quality of your picture? Yeah, so, so I think we'll, you know, you do this sometimes when you've got really deep structures. So I'll, I'll often use, I'll often change the frequency and the way that, the way that, um, you can change the quality of the picture with depth is to lower your frequency. So by lowering your frequency, you increase, you increase the depth of um, that the ultrasound waves are able to penetrate. Because remember that absorption is based on the frequency of the waves. So if you've got higher frequency waves, most of it is gonna be absorbed right from the start. And so less of it, and so you're gonna get less penetration. Mm. But, the, but the flip side to that is that the lower the frequency you use, the less your resolution is going to be. Mm. So that's the trick with deep structures is that yes, you can, you can use lower frequencies, but the, you'll find that the resolution is, is never as good as what you can find with something with um, structures that are a lot closer. Mm. So look, the, the challenges are in, as, as the population becomes larger and larger uh, with obese patients, Using ultrasound in those patients are actually quite tricky, especially mm -hmm. when we're doing blocks. And I'll, I'll see that, and I'll see a wide variety of um, anatomy with interscaling blocks, which I do primarily, or brachial plexus blocks. Mm -hmm. So there are some patients where, where when you pop the ultrasound on, you actually see the brachial plexus, honestly, like less than a centimeter mm -hmm. um, from the depth of the skin. Mm -hmm. And then I've had uh, other patients where I've done the ultrasound, where it is about two to three, it's almost about three, three, three centimeters down, which is actually very far down. Because consider mm. this, I only use a 50 millimeter needle or five mm. centimeter needle. Um, and to get to that structure, which is about three centimeters deep, I, I, I have to put my whole needle in. And when you look, when you're looking at those structures, they're never as good as a structure that's 
closer to the surface. Yeah, it's like the degree of difficulty suddenly increased so much more. So much more, that's right. Yeah, I remember having this patient who was, you know, I think he would have been over 200 kilos and trying to do a um, sciatic nerve block. But the fortunate thing was all the, no matter how much weight he had at the popliteal region, it was still okay. It was yes. like the normal size knee and popliteal area, but then the thigh was, you know, as, as big as my shoulders and the, the, you know, the calves were really large in this man. Uh, and, and, and so it was actually okay to get it. So, you know, I guess one of the fortunate things is even though you have some really, um, you know, you know, large people with lots of skin, skin tissue between nerves and your, um, and, and where your probe is at hopefully the vital sites, your neck, there's only so much size you can get there. Popliteal is only so much size, the ankle, a lot of, a lot of critical points are okay. But yes, trying to do a posterior gluteal approach to something that that's well, going to be difficult. Yeah, well, one of the um, I think one of the uh, one of the challenges is actually doing an anterior approach sciatic nerve block because of the depth. Oh, yeah, that okay. is that is incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah, that would that would be really challenging. And the the reason why um, so with sciatic nerve blocks, look, I'll, I'll probably do a popliteal approach mm. just because, as you described, it's it is closer to the um, closer to the closer to the skin mm. you can use the gluteal approach but that requires you to um mm. sort of uh extend 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 your oh sorry flex your leg flex yes. flex the leg and it's quite hard to sort of position the patient that way so the anterior approach is the other one that you can sort of use which but the the difficulty with that is just the depth that's required and i must admit i'm, I'm not proficient uh with using mm. ultrasound and using the anterior approach yeah and even you know, know the what? image is easy enough to get but then to Put past that long needle in difficult situations with someone with a fracture or you know whatever yeah. it is yeah yes. it, it is definitely advanced technique <laughs> so, so i mean the the, yeah, the the one that i use with the most depth is uh do, do you do many adductor canal blocks oh look i i haven't recently just because you know a lot of surgeons are doing lia and yeah. it's not but yeah that's i mean that's really just below the sartorius though so that's right like, yeah oh look it it depends on the patient, but uh, yeah, those definitely. ones there, I'd use a hundred, hundred to hundred fifty millimeter needle. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 To get those, um, to get those images, and those would probably be the, 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 um, the blocks that I do, which probably require the, um, the most depth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and obviously tap blocks, often require. Yeah, tap depth. blocks. So tap blocks are quite interesting because uh, there is a wide, again, a wide variety of patients in terms of uh, body composition. Mm. So you see some, like for yourself, I probably just need to have a depth of three, three centimeters, I think. What are you uh, saying? Oh, sorry, two, two. My, abs are, my abs are huge. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got to so say. No, there's, no, there's no fat there. So, <laughs> whereas, you know, for me, you might have to, you might have to, uh, might have to put the probe up to about 10 to actually get, <laughs> to get the correct layers. You wear obesity well, Stan. So low, low frequency <laughs> ultrasound, high depth for me, uh, La, whereas you, you'll mm. be using... High frequency, low depth. Give me the hockey stick. <laughs> um, interesting because I, I've started doing, uh, I mean, not started, but this was um, when I started learning tap blocks. At the same time, I learned the rectus sheath blocks and they're just so much better at covering the top all the way down to below the umbilicus. I, I, I've started just to, for most of, you know, not, not the um, super umbilical, uh, sorry, in, infraumbilical kind of operations, but most laparotomies, rectus sheath block is, it's an easier technique that's, you know, shorter space to the rectus sheath. Yes. Uh, I think it's great. And look, I think um, 
for me, it's been a long time since I've done a tap block because for my, um, and I don't know about yourself, mm. but uh, a lot of the surgeons are just doing it on direct view. And, well, and yeah, I, mean, uh, I mean, this was a while since I read, read this study, but there's, there's no increased benefit of just any tap block versus just local infiltration. Yes. Like yes. if I'm putting a catheter, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. Yes. And I've got to say, even the surgical thing, it's not, it's not really direct vision because they're, they're yeah, you're well, as in the wonder whether they're actually putting in the right uh, in the right layers. Yeah, I mean, and when when you say, "Are you sure you're in?" They go, "Yeah, it's, it's expanding." But when you put a needle into tissue, it expands, whether you're in a plane or not. So <laughs> I don't I don't know what this voodoo that they yeah, that they're sort of whether thinking. are they are they sure they're between internal and transverse abdominals? Uh, so yeah, never not, never not sure. And and I got to say, if I was a surgeon, I would also say that because you don't want your anesthetist wasting half an hour trying to put a tap lock in. I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> yep. do some token thing i'm being cynical there but with it with the edge of <laughs> truth look the, the one time that i found it useful was many years ago when i was in when i was in darwin so 2014 um and we had a patient who had a laparotomy mm. and um they were for whatever reason it was it was unwise to use opioids in her mm -hmm. and so we, need, we had the initial laparotomy and then we had the surgeon put tap blocks in and then we just sort of used non-opioid um, pharmacological techniques. Mm. And then after that, I saw the next day and she was really sore. Mm. And then the, oh yeah, because we didn't want to use opioid because she, um, she had an alias. So the, the surgeon didn't want her to um, sort, of, uh, sort of make that worse. So he suggested that maybe could, could, we, could we put some tap blocks in? So what I did was I should put some, some catheter tap blocks in mm. and then I would see her twice a day and, and I would bolus those uh, tap blocks. And, <laughs> It, it really worked really well. So. I, literally, I literally did the same did the same thing. I had a patient who had had a respiratory met call, respiratory rest met call, was on ketamine and opioids, that, but that wasn't working. So I just went up to the ward, put a couple of rectus sheath catheters in, and just the satisfaction of doing this technique for someone who had failed everything else and was met calling because of sedation yes. is, is extremely satisfying. Uh, and, it, and it's such a, I mean, it's not the easiest technique, but once you've learned it, it's an easy technique. Just keep the yeah. patient monitored, put the catheters in and pain-free, you know, 10 out of 10 to zero out of 10 in a matter of seconds. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. And, uh, and they, and you certainly see, yeah, they certainly appreciate and see that difference very rapidly. Mm. Okay. Now, no. I'm going to talk about the, um, the Doppler effect. So that's, Absolutely. that's yeah, well, look, probably don't need to know sort of too much in detail other than, other than, have a sort of good definition of what the Doppler effect is, which is um, it just describes the change in frequency of sound waves due to the relative motion between a wave source and detector. That, 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 that's probably the easiest definition that I would use um, and easiest one that uh, I think is easy enough to remember. And the old analogy with the ambulance or the sirens coming towards you, then moving away. Yes. That is, that is the, everyone knows that Doppler effect. That's right. And so it's a relative motion between the wave source and the detector. And it, it could also work the other way as well. In mm -hmm. other words, it's also could you you could also be moving closer to the closer to the ambulance, and that's why you hear the different frequencies. Oh, so the am ambulance could be stationary with the sirens on, and you're in a car driving past. I mean, the across. same effect will happen. Same effect, correct? Because it's the relative it's the relative motion um, between the wave source and detector. So mm -hmm. so it can happen it can happen both ways. But often we talk about the wave. What happens What happens if you're traveling at the speed of light? you know what then you you hit back a couple of days time and it, it never happened it never happened that's uh, that's time travel yeah i think you're talking about wormholes rather than <laughs> special theory relative anyway what uh, i was watching <laughs> avengers infinity war uh the other day so 
the, the idea of quantum physics and time travel. How, how interesting, right? But anyway, that's, I digress. I look, I look, forward, I look forward to what I need to learn uh, that you're going to send me to learn, but it better not be quantum right. physics. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Should we go um, into what the equations are? Okay, so... I'll, I'll put these in the story notes as well. Yeah, so look, the, the equation um, in, in its basic description, it's, it's the velocity. So when you think about Doppler and, and its use in medicine, we're thinking about um, looking at blood flow. Mm -hmm. so that's that's what we often look at you know we look at our, we want to discern whether it's an artery or a vein and what we and this is for us in anesthesia in um in cardiology i think your application will be a lot different in terms of you can actually look at the velocity through the aortic the left ventricular outflow track mm -hmm. and you can get things like peak systolic velocity um you can look at things like uh you can calculate the flow which then can calculate the volume integrated when you integrate that over time mm -hmm. Now, the equation at its base is the velocity of blood flow equals the velocity of sound in blood multiplied by the shift in frequency or the Doppler frequency mm -hmm. divided by two multiplied by the frequency of the beam um, multiplied by cos theta. And, and cos theta is the incident angle of the ultrasound beam to blood flow. So if you think about this, if your beam is coming straight down and your blood flow is going this way, mm -hmm. it's... It's the, it's the angle between the angle of the beam and the direction of uh, the blood flow, all right? And so you'd use this, if you're having a short answer question about ultrasound, this is what you do. This is the equation you'd use to describe the Doppler effect. Is that that's right? right? Yeah, that's right. So you'd have your definition of the Doppler effect, which describes the change in frequency of sound waves due to the relative motion between a wave source and detector. Um, if you can remember, which I think, yeah. Um, look, I, I don't think it's essential, but I think it's nice if you can... If you can reproduce it, you'd have the equation of the uh, the Doppler equation, which is velocity of blood flow equals the velocity of sound multiplied by the shift in frequency divided by two times the frequency of the beam multiplied by cos theta, where theta is your is the incident angle of the ultrasound beam to blood flow. Um, and the reason why that's also important is that you wanna you wanna have that less than eighteen degrees, okay? Um, because you do get you do get errors. Once, once it's more than that. Oh, that's good. Now, yeah. this next question is one of the one of the initially trickiest things. What do the colors represent with Doppler and ultrasound? Because you got to make sure that you're not confusing. That's right. Yeah. The, the ultrasound isn't fancy. Actually, Blue you, doesn't you, mean you are the king. You are the king of mnemonics. I'm sure. I'm sure you you know this mnemonic. Oh, look, I, tell, tell, <laughs> tell the audience. <laughs> I mean, it's Bart. Blue Bart. away, red towards. B A R T. Blue <laughs> away, red towards. And just remember, the ultrasound isn't fancy enough to to show every artery is red and every vein is blue. It's not about whether it's not blue and red is not arteries and veins. Right. It is where the blood is flowing. So right. more, more accurate is your artery is going to be pulsatile and any color and your venous blood flow is much slower. You may get varying colors, but not, not necessarily pulsatile. That's right. So, I mean, a trick is if you, if you, if you want to know whether it's artery or whether it's artery or, or vein, move the probe towards where the heart is so if you move if you move the probe so if you angle the probe to where, to where the heart is mm -hmm. blue is always going to be venous because it's moving away from the heart mm -hmm. and red is always going to be um is always going to be uh arterial yeah okay because it's and, coming because it's coming towards you that's right and, and and also just to just to remember that there's always a whole spectrum of things that makes you decide this you, you know the anatomy roughly speaking so you know that that's a carotid not a internal jugular vein, it's compressible. Uh, veins are compressible versus artery less so. 
the artery is pulsatile, but even some veins can be pulsatile. So you have all these other factors that really helps you to decide this as well. Good. Great. I so think... that's it for ultrasound. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dan. That was a good comprehensive uh, yeah, talk about ultrasound and some, and some really interesting information about you know, the practical aspects of it as well. Um, I mean, the most important thing, ultrasounds are so readily available in every hospital department. I think when I was starting training, we just got the grants to have some you know, average ultrasounds in our departments, but it, it was a game changer. Suddenly, you know, IV cannulation, outline insertion, regional blocks, cardiac ultrasound. If you're not learning ultrasound now, and, and lung ultrasound as well, if you're not learning ultrasound, I think you're doing a great disservice to yourself. Just learn it because you know, even as a junior, by learning ultrasound, you could be one of the most proficient people in the department at ultrasound. And I think that's a really great skill to have if even and if you're a junior. Yeah. Uh, look, I now routinely put all my outlines with ultrasound. Yeah, so saves time. <laughs> it, it, honestly, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Like previous to ultrasound, um, it used to be, I mean, you used to palpate it and it used yeah. to be a guessing game. And look, my success rates were probably around 60, 70%, but with mm. ultrasound, you, you're heading towards 90 to, 90 to 100%. Absolutely. And you learn so much as well. I mean, I, I definitely think learn both ways, like, like usual, but you learn so much about what you were doing wrong with um, the non-ultrasound technique. You learn that there's, you know, the, the artery moves a lot. You learn that some arteries are super calcified, have multiple false lumens, have thromboses in them. And, and some are just extremely tiny. So you're far more forgiving of the fact that you missed a few times, but you go, well, that artery is ridiculously small. Of course I missed. So yes. I think you learn a lot by doing lots of ultrasounding of both you know, veins and arteries. Absolutely. So get, get in, get in, get, um, get your hands dirty. I'll obviously clean them, but. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the wrong phrase, isn't it? Get your hands dirty with Clorhex. But with, yeah, with the adequate uh, wash beforehand, surgical scrub beforehand. That's right. Um, and yeah, get, get involved with ultrasound and have someone in the department show it to you and just use it in everyday practice. And even now, you know, like I think, um, what, what do, you, do you use ultrasound for IV cannulation? Oh, if, if, I, if I need to, yeah. Um, I mean, I often IV cannulations, no, but I've had a spate of really difficult patients where I, I was very glad to have the ultrasound there because they, they had nothing to go for. You know, one arm was uh, lymph node dissection, the other arm had no veins, the feet were swollen. Like and, and the before. way the way you position your probe is a lot different than how you would do a nerve block. Like you would mm. you would um, position the probe uh, transverse as opposed to longitudinal. Would that is that right? Yeah, as in I've got the vein on short axis, not short long axis. axis. Yeah, and then I go I go out of plane, whereas nerve blocks I go in plane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is and, common. And, and those are yeah those are those are those are different schools. <laughs> When you when you go um, out of plane on the on the short axis, you don't you don't see the whole needle. All you see is just, mm. just like little this little um yeah. little tiny little bright light on the screen. Yeah, that's right. But it's very um it's 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 very sort of uh, sat satisfying when you see this black hole mm. with like a little target in the middle. You know yes. when you when you when you're in, <laughs> you're in straight away. That's right. It, it really is, and it's one of those yeah tech. I love things that are technically a bit tricky because, you know, you really get a sense of satisfaction by being able to do those things. There's a lot of medicine is very academic. I mean, surgery, anesthetics, even we get to really do some interesting technical stuff. All right. Good stuff, La. Great. So we'll see you in a week. And uh, hopefully in that week, hopefully La will have a change of clothes. Thanks for that. Okay, everyone. That's great. And, and hopefully so, by then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get my beeper. All right. Right. So everyone, we've got the Patreon account. Please support um, if, you, if you are able to. 
if you have any questions, comments, any feedback at all, lahiru and stan at gmail.com is our email account. And again, yeah, please share. Uh, and um, yeah, please share with anyone who might be interested in, in our first part podcast, Anesthesia Coffee Break. See you next time.